Welcome to The Bulb, a podcast shedding light on gendered violence. In each edition, we'll explore aspects of this violence. What is thought about it, what we know about it, or what is yet to be revealed. The Bulb is a podcast series brought to you by the Queensland Centre for Domestic and Family Violence Research. Thank you for joining us as we share knowledge to improve the lives of women and their children. Hello. I'd like to respectfully acknowledge the traditional custodians of the many lands in which we live, work and learn. I'd like to pay my respects to the First Nations people, to their elders, past, present and in the future. My name is Mark Walters. I work for the Queensland Centre for Domestic and Family Violence Research and the Central Queensland University. The name of this presentation is Techniques to Increase Meaningful Contact with Men Who Use Violence by Phone, informed by research and built in practice. I'm hoping that by the end of this presentation, you'd be able to identify the best practices for phone engagement with perpetrators of violence, and also the safety procedures to reduce the likelihood of an escalation of violence. From the sources of information, I have looked globally, what's come from Europe and the US through this period, the pandemic, and I've also uh, sourced local and national source information to inform this presentation. It's from those sources that uh, I have extracted four practice tips that I would like to share with you today. Our focus is on who's responsible for the violence and to draw from a quote from the ANROS publication from October last year, 2019, for engaging men who use violence through the invitational narrative approach, we need to maintain an unrelenting focus on women and children's safety and on men's accountability to others. There is currently limited evidence about the efficacy of using video conferencing, contact for perpetrators and the process of changing behaviour. The evidence suggests that the contact by electronic media is second best. And again, most sources I've looked at say that behavioural change programs should not be attempted via these media until we have a clearer picture as to what works and how. Resources are continually being developed and distributed from local and international sources through this period of pandemic. But I'd point out that the extra efforts we're making, the extra efforts around contact and safety, send an important message to the perpetrators. It may be challenging, it may be hard, it may be complex to maintain contact, but we have an unrelenting focus on the safety of women and children, and that's where our commitment lies. The violence will have increased, it will have continued, it may have changed. COVID-19 um, will be, or has been, or could be an excuse uh, to increase the justified monitoring, management and control. 
the anger that men might be expressing now can sound righteous, protective, even necessary. Uh, the stressors will be used as excuses to explode. And some service responses will be different. There will be or has been fewer victim calls. There may be changes in police responses and challenges to the way we do business normally. Men's use of violence within their families and towards their intimate partners, of course, they're not just one homogenous group. And so the features of their violence are similar, but there's not a one size fits all response. Every guy will have different capacity, different mental health, different attention spans, different resources, different education, language, historical experiences, and different motivation. On the contact, our contact will vary depending on a bunch of factors. Is this the first contact? Is this someone we've got an established engagement with? Maybe it's someone from a reluctant self-referral, or is it someone we've had in a group, or is it a contact about compliance to an order? Our contact will vary depending on other factors. Is this the first contact? Is this someone who we've established engagement with? Is this maybe a reluctant re-referral? Is this someone we've had in group? Or is this contact about compliance? So my goal here is to provide generic techniques, practice tips, which you would need to adjust, adapt and apply, depending on the context of your meeting. Not all men are ready to listen, to engage or to respond. So we can acknowledge that punitive responses are still required, containment responses are still required, and then rehabilitative responses, which is the beginning of this process of engagement, which Common sense caveat is that not all men are ready to listen, to engage or to respond. We'd know that punitive responses to the violence are still necessary in response to the risks. Containment responses, meaningful sanctions, after a transgression against an order, of course, again, still required. The rehabilitative responses, which of which meaningful engagement can be the beginning, is also a process that is still occurring. My pet saying around this time is you may not be the right person, this may not be the right time, not everyone will talk or listen. But a service response is still required. So for those that are willing to engage, to have conversations, to take that call, they may be in a grieving process. They may be through moving through anger, through sadness, through loss, or just sitting in fear, fearful of the change. They often have limited emotional repertoires. Often men will express they can access the anger, but can't seem to dig up any of the other emotions or feelings. Being scared, lost, or lonely is often not okay, but hard to identify and acknowledge. 
they may be able to hear or respond to questions or statements like describe some of the things you're not happy with and we'll try to get some of the feelings or the emotions that are underneath. Again, reaching, trying to, try to engage meaningfully with men. Men will make contact, accept that call for different reasons or different motivations. A challenge presented to us is to be able to ask about, listen to, and work with the motivations. And that can be from that mo a position of a curious inquiry. For instance, I'm hearing that others are concerned for you and what is going on. Do you share those similar concerns? Or what are you most concerned about? One of the practice tips, or my first practice tip, is about being clear, concise, open, and transparent about your motivations, your intention uh, about the call. State it up front. Transparency about who you are, what you can and can't do, and also what you stand for. Perhaps with a first contact, you might be along the lines of, I've received a referral from the police. I've been asked to give you a call to talk about your behaviour towards the family last night. I'm concerned about safety for everyone. And maybe in a follow-up contact, I'm back in touch today, as we arranged, to ask about how those tools for negotiating those tough periods have gone. How have they worked over these last few days? How's the family's welfare? What's been different for them? Again, keeping it focused on the family. The UK and the US practitioners suggest that you shouldn't focus on too many things through this period, through this contact medium. Too many topics, the perpetrator again could control things through changing the subject or divert the conversation uh, if they're uncomfortable or just to keep you off balance or off centre. Focus on safety, support, things like empowerment, action and choice. And it's suggested through those reports coming from the UK and US that over the phone or through this period, particularly when the pandemic is on, it's not the time to be challenging on anything else. It's a time to again shift to those notion or idea of support, empowerment, action, and choice with the safety as the focus. In terms of follow-up contacts, you don't expect to meet the same person at the same point of readiness at the next call. They're, often men will have a lot more excuses or justifications to why they haven't done what they've agreed to do from the last contact, or there's blame. So again, we just try to reach in, try to find a point of engagement. What do you think is yours, you might ask? What choices have you got to make? Tell me in your own way, what is yours? And what can we do about it? Practice tip number two is about keep central to any plan with the perpetrator and unrelenting focus on the safety of women and children. We need to be ready for the conversations to be different. Be ready for things to be brought up again. Be ready to re-establish goals and preferences. 
but keeping the family's voice in the goals and preferences is central. For instance, so this goal not to drink over the weekend, what would be different for the family during this time? How will it change things for them? That brings the victim, the family's voice back into that established goal. And it isn't just a goal to, for a goal's sake, for an end's sake, for just a reduction in alcohol consumption. This goal is about safety of women and children. It's probably a time also for a duty of care caveat. It's important to acknowledge that through this time, through this conversation, that you're happy to talk um, in ongoing in confidence about what's going on. But if you tell me or imply your intent to hurt yourself or another, I will share that information. That is my duty of care. It's always important because central to everything, central to safety is the notion that if you disclose that you're going to hurt yourself or another or even imply it, there will be a duty of care to report that to others to share that information. One thing that's also important with that practice, practice tip of an unrelenting focus on women and children's safety is to develop new skills of observation. Think carefully about who you're about to talk to. What do you know and what else could you find out? Do a deeper analysis, maybe a deeper one than usual. Think about tactics, discover what substance use preferences there are, what stressors, share and collect information using part 5A of the DV Act of 2012. For those that aren't familiar with part 5A, information shared can be shared without consent between entities and specialists and support services for the purpose of responding to serious domestic violence threat. By gathering as much information and getting the clearest all-round holistic picture, you're doing again, focusing on the unrelenting focus on safety. It is also prudent to share behavioural expectations of the perpetrator with other agencies to have contact with the, who may have contact with the family and encourage a shared approach. The risks, of course, haven't changed and may have intensified and protective factors may have reduced. So, of course, don't need to tell you, but remember that DFV goes on, domestic and family violence goes on all the time. It's about patterns, not incidents. Get to know the patterns. The perpetrator will want to talk to you about their behaviour and choices as incidents as a result of COVID or restrictions or job loss or stressors or family illness. Now, those may be legitimate factors for stress, but the violence is not legitimate. Not everyone stressed, unemployed or at home is making violent and controlling choices. So you might ask or say, I'm hearing that others are concerned about your behaviour and what's going on. Do you share similar concerns? What are you most concerned about? Talk about their behaviour, not hers. 
talk about controllable choices. What can you do differently from this point? Or tell me why that's so important to you. Again, asking for clarity about what decisions they're making and why those choices are resulting in hurt and harm to the people they love. Practice tip number three is the six P's. Proper prior planning prevents poor performance. So it's back to using that deep analysis of the perpetrator thoughtfully. A deeper analysis is not about a gotcha moment, but it's to consider the changes in risk factors or to direct your curious inquiry. For instance, if through gathering other information, you discovered that uh, a per the, perpetrator, the perpetrator has cited uh, maybe job, lo job loss stressors for previous acts of violence, then your inquiries will become targeted. So what's working to reduce the stress, you might ask, or who else can help you with some forward planning, or how committed are you to manage your stress? Would you agree it's not really a partner's job to absorb your stressors? She would have stressed it. She would be, you know, again, now you're informed about stress or stressors, you're more likely to ask around those, direct around those questions, a leading question that opens up a broader conversation. As always, keep those principles of safety, justice, and accountability in front of mind. Resist the temptation, now you know a lot, to put someone straight and yet don't waver from that unrelenting focus. So your conviction is central that everyone has that right to safety. But also use your authority in a way that demonstrates or models um, how power can be used to benefit both players for a shared purpose for safety. So things like I'll put in a call for you, or I'll get back to you on that, or I have a contact that may be helpful, or we can contact them together. Sends a signal that you have power, capacity to help, and you're using it in a balanced way, uh, proportional to the efforts being made to reduce the harm the home. Compassion, of course, is not the same as collusion. Being afraid is a valid response to threat and violent men are often frightened men but not all frightened men are violent this notion of stoic individualism is a difficult form of masculine expression to maintain and again it's quite often believed that having emotions is a weakness and as is mentioned or was stated at one stage, it's not the role of women to absorb men's suffering. Men can be doing it tough. Men have a lot of constraints around their version, often around the version of masculinity they've adopted. And it's our role to reach in and start to pry some of those frozen, frozen emotions and start to allow them to be expressed and ultimately felt. And for that purpose, the opportunities for insight building might be a little more accessible 
now that that masculine model is not so heavily policed, a break from the sometimes hostile and coercive male colleagues who demand, say, conformity to their version of masculinity may be reduced via through no contact. Away from that constant policing, there may be opportunities to challenge the value of being that guy. Our watch produced a great paper, Men in Focus, Unpacking Masculinities, Engaging Men in Preventing Violence Against Women. That's a good read. Choice is an empowering word, and you should use it often. To be able to, again, weave the word choice into conversations uh, sends an important, powerful message to the person using violence, that they have the capacity to stop immediately. They can make choices as of now. So what choices have you been making this week or how, what have you chosen to do there sends this signal that you, the professional, are absolutely confident that they have the capacity, all the skills necessary to make choices, to maintain safety, to reduce the harm and, and to benefit from those choices. My practice tip number four is about developing a checklist or a, a model that helps you focus before and during your call or your contact. I've used the acronym, I've used the word SAFE and turned it into an acronym to stand for S setting, A access, F frequency, and E engagement. Let me go through each one of those with you now. The setting is important to control. Again, we're thinking of phone contact. I will acknowledge my colleagues, uh, former colleagues at DB Connect helped to really frame this well. They are doing this contact all the time, every day. And they've learned that unless they set up the setting, they can lose the man halfway through. He can be distracted. He can actually, um, it can turn out that in the middle of the conversation, he's cooking dinner or looking after one of his children or watching TV or drinking beer or smoking a joint or all kinds of things. So by setting up the setting, by talking directly to who's in the room with you, is there a place you can go that we can have a quiet conversation? Is there a way in which we can get away from the the, uh, the kids for, for, for 45 minutes or so? Do you have that time? Have you been drinking today? Are there anything, is there anything else that can get in the way? Sends a, an important signal. This is an important and meaningful conversation. This is not, not something that we just tack on uh, sort of at the back end of a, uh, of, a, of a hard day. This you need to be able to put both mental capacity and uh, I'm, I'm here, I've phoned, I'm ready, I'm ready to engage. And what I'm asking you from uh, from challenge, challenging in a way and, and um, ensuring that the setting's right is saying that it is important to me, it's important to you and very important to those people that you're hurting and harming. So again, things like, are you on your own? Are there any animals likely to distract you? I can hear the TV in the background. It's, it's working in real time to ensure that you've got that man's full attention. If calls drop out, if there can be background noise and distraction, things have to be gone over again. Sometimes you're not sure if they've heard you or misheard you. They may take part of what you said and misinterpret it. So not only for safety is the setting important, but also 
or that important messaging. So it's all about privacy, plenty of battery life if they're talking on a phone, and what might happen if the phone drops, how can I get back in touch with you um, and agreed on ground rules. So again, uh, I, I really appreciate the, uh, the, the time the EviConnect guys spent just reminding me about the, um, the need for the setting. So that's the S part in my safe model. The A part might sound a bit like a broken record, but it's about the access to as much information as you can get to get the clearest picture. So SA, access for a new referral. Can you ask the referring source for more information, for more background? Could you speak to the police officer perhaps directly who had who made the referral or the other source from which it's come from? Again, he may have done a program, he may have had access to a local support, he may have done something which again will help add some context and give a real holistic picture of what's going on. Now, this is not just so that you know what's going on, but also it sends another message to the person, to the perpetrator. This caller has taken enough time to find out some meaningful events. He may, I may be asking as the caller for some clarification, for some understanding of the context, but it's sending an important message to the person receiving a call to the perpetrator that you've done your background work. Do you know what's going on? It can help to eliminate the time spent on testing each other, the BS time, the time where the tests are thrown out to see whether you are listening, paying attention, whether you're gonna fall for them or not. Uh, but also straight away, you're asking questions about meaningful things that fit the person's life, lived experience, and the lived experience of their family. Frequency is the F part of my model. Uh, frequency then says, how regularly will I be in touch with you? But frequency also says that I'm gonna keep the sessions short, covering one or two topics, but I'm gonna be quite regular and persistent. So what does persistent mean? That means you ring at the agreed times. If that goes to, to answering machine, you leave a message um, expressing your, your uh, uh, well, what are you expressing? You're expressing your um, concern uh, for the, the, uh, the perpetrator's welfare. Hope you're okay. I know we had an arranged time to contact at two o'clock. Um, I hear this has gone to mess. I leave a message. I will be phoning back again tomorrow at two to see if I can contact you. If you prefer to phone me, that, you know, something along those lines to say I'm reaching out. It's important we maintain contact. It's the message behind a lot of the actions that we do that's so important to maintaining that unrelenting focus on safety of women and children. So record, like I said, short, concise messages. Do take, make note of the missed calls and ask what they mean. Why, why do we miss that call? What's that mean? What is that? Oh, I'm just too busy, I'm just too, well, hang on. I, I couldn't I couldn't imagine anything more important than, than the welfare and well-being of your children or your wife. You know, again, just calling some of that stuff out, asking for authenticity and genuineness. You've done your bit and you're hoping, expecting that the person who uh, is answering the phone is doing their bit. And the E part of our safe model, S-A-F-E, is engagement. And I like that saying that says engagement is the key determinant to change. Again, my help from, uh, from my colleagues at the Diva, former colleagues at DV Connect is letting the person know that you're hearing them generally relates to less resistance. 
and more willingness to discuss their ethical preferences and to develop some mutual agreement. So engagement really is just hearing uh, what's going on in that person's life and ensuring that they can hear that you can hear them if you understand what I mean. One useful tactic or technique for engagement is to use metaphors. For instance, if you're having someone saying, this is all new to me, it's very frightening, I don't want to go and ask for help, I'm really challenged when I ask for help, think about perhaps uh, the model of when somebody starts a new job or walks into a building site and it's not probable or practical to hand that new apprentice, let's say, uh, you know, a jigsaw and tell him to cut the doors out of a piece of, you know, um, a gyp rock. It's, it's just not what's going to happen. So again, those metaphors help to ground the person back to this notion or idea that, um, yes, it is going to be a little uncomfortable to learn new skills, but you've already done it before. You, whatever skill, whatever thing you may or may not have, you know, may have accomplished, um, would have started with a degree of uncertainty and vulnerability. I don't know what I'm doing and I have to ask somebody for help. Now it's the same position here. You can use that metaphor quite seamlessly. Now that's, that's that sort of process of engaging, reaching around to find meaningful ways to explain uh, how some of the resistance or some of the legitimate fears and concerns uh, can be uh, negotiated. So that is my uh, four uh, parts, or those are my four practice tips, and that's the four parts of my uh, the, the model, the SAFE, SAFE model. So in terms of the four practice tips, it's the first one was all about being open, clear, transparent about your motivations and what you stand for. It's practice tip number two, it's about that central notion of unrelenting focus on the safety of women and children. Uh, practice tip number three is about the proper prior planning. And practice tip number four is about developing a checklist or a model that helps focus you before and during the contact. The last thing I'd like to leave you with, I've always found this really helpful, and I thank David Adams for, for giving this to me when he was out visiting one year from Boston, um, is David's called Take Home Messages About Violence. Uh, he said, um, violence is a choice. It's not provoked. It's not self-defense. Uh, so that's an empowering, powerful thing for men to know. Um, abuse or violence is not an anger problem. The loss of control is, is selective. And every abuser, every violent man draws the line somewhere. The abuse is not sick or irrational. The underlying logic is purposeful, doesn't follow naturally from having a bad upbringing or bad parenting. Abuse is not caused by alcohol or other drugs. There's plenty of substance abusers who, again, are not violent or abusive. And practice, or not practice it, but take home message number five is that partner abuse is inherently harmful to children. Children flourish in safe, predictable, nurturing environments with regular routines and sensitive responses. It isn't possible to be abusing your partner and not be impacting your children.
I'd like to thank you for your attention today. And I'm hoping that this brief time together has been helpful in maintaining meaningful contact with men who use violence. We hope you found this edition of The Bulb Enlightening. If you'd like to know more about our work, please visit noviolence.org.au.